you turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll hit that before we move on. If someone can close those doors for me so I don't get distracted, I'd appreciate it. The pearly gates are closing. Better get on in here. First, uh, what did I say? I forgot what I said. Yeah, First Peter 4, 7. First Peter 4. Just want to remind you, let you know that we have offering boxes. If you want to give tithes or offerings, we have offering boxes out there in the hallway. We're not going to be passing anything around, so they're out there on the wall. And just to remind everybody, because I always bring my check to church and then I forget it and walk home with it. I'll do that for three or four weeks. So just a reminder, those of you guys who uh, have your tithe checks in your pocket, don't forget to uh, where to put those. Uh, First Peter. Okay, Um, I'm going to continue what I've been talking about. It's like everything I've been talking about has been about relationship. Anybody agree? You hear that word relationship come out of me a lot. And that's because that's what God's been encouraging, challenging, ministering. To me, hey Coco, how you doing? She's someone from college, didn't even see her over there. When do you go back? The 17th? Okay. Well, welcome home. Good to have you home. All right, anyway, been talking about relationships. And now when I read through the, through the Old or New Testament, that's all I see is real. Everything's about relationship. And you know, the kingdom of heaven is all about relationship. You agree with me on that? You know, we are going to have, we've, when we commit our lives to Jesus, when we're born again, we start the ultimate relationship and it just starts and it it will continue through all eternity. Now I know we can't wrap our minds around what eternity is like, so we're not going to even, we're not going to even try that, but we're going to be in heaven with the Lord forever and ever and ever. And we're going to get to know him and fellowship with him, hang out with him and have a good time with him and. And, and all whatever, all the good stuff that happens in heaven. But we don't wait until we get to heaven to uh, participate in kingdom relationships. We get to do that now. And we've been talking about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because if you're born again, if you believe in him, he invites you to be his disciple, be his student, to learn of him. And we've mentioned and, and the definition that we've grabbed a hold of, that I've been talking about, of being a disciple, is, um, I'm going to read it out of first, it's out of first Matthew, right before the second Matthew. If you have a second Matthew in your Bible, we need to talk. You got the wrong book. But it's uh, Matthew chapter 4, you don't have to turn there, or you can if you want to, verse 19. Then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So our definition of a disciple is someone who is following Jesus because he says, follow me. Someone who is being changed by Jesus. He says, I will make you. So we're being changed by him. And then he says, fishers of men. So someone who is committed to the mission of Jesus, someone who's following him, someone who's being changed by him and someone who is committed to his mission. 
So you're following him, allowing him to change you so you can be effective in serving in the capacity that he wants you to. And his capacity has to do with man, people, mankind, women, children, people. And God's all about people. I mean, the whole thing about the gospel, for God so loved the world. And it wasn't talking about the globe or the world system, but he's talking about the people of the world. God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son so that we can believe in him, have eternal life and be with him forever and begin that awesome relationship. So we're going to continue today to talk about uh, being an intentional disciple in 2012. We started that last week, being an intentional disciple. And, you know, I realized that that word intentional, you keep, hear, keep hearing me dropping that. I keep dropping that word a lot and I will continue to. But it's basically the same word that we've been hearing from Pastor Dale for the last several, several years. How many of you have ever heard Pastor Dale say, be definite, brother? Raise your hand. Be definite, brother. I mean, that's his, his catchphrase, be definite. And I've learned a lot from that, about being definite. In other words, if you say you're going to do something, then be definite and do it. And so when I use the word intentional, it's the same thing. We have to in, be intentional and intently set our, um, our minds or whatever in doing what we say we're going to do. Before we go on, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for you. And we just open our hearts and submit to you. And Holy Spirit, we say that we do have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And we set our hearts to be attentive and to obey what you speak to us. So, Father, thank you for your grace to hear your word and embrace it and run effectively. Thank you for allowing us and helping us to hear you. And Father, thank you for using me to speak your word clearly and effectively. By your grace, in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to continue along this line of being an intentional disciple. Because I really believe 2012 is all about relationships. Because if we want to be an effective disciple of Jesus Christ, then we realize, I'm beginning to learn and realize this more and more, that you cannot... Walk in discipleship and be an effective disciple outside of relationship. You can't walk this on this earth by yourself unless you are in an unusual circumstance. Like if you're in a prison cell, you know, they, they throw you in jail because you've been preaching the gospel and they isolate you or whatever. And you're there for years and years and years. I mean, God's grace will be on you because of that situation is unique. You'll be able to learn and grow in him. But generally speaking... He's called us to walk and follow him, but it involves relationships and has a whole lot to do with relationships. <clears throat> you know, and, and I talked to the men about this yesterday, but how many of you have heard people who don't go to church outside the church who say, you know, I can be a good Christian and not go to church. You know, I don't go to church, but I, I'm, I'm still a Christian. How many of you have heard, it, heard that phrase or heard something like that before? Do you agree with that? Do you believe that you can be a Christian and not be in church? Some people are afraid to answer that question. It's like, hmm. It's possible. All things are possible. Yes, you can be a Christian and not go to church. But turn to me. Actually, be, um, I said First Peter. Actually, the first is uh, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, you can be a Christian and not go to church. 
I believe that. Because going to church isn't what makes you a Christian. Putting your faith in Jesus Christ is what makes you a Christian. Not going to church. Now, some churches believe that going to church is what makes you a Christian. I don't believe that. But what kind of Christian do you want to be? Let's look in verse 11 of chapter, excuse me, verse 11 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. And again, that's first Ephesians, not second. Verse 11 says, and he himself, talking about Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So Jesus gave gifts to the church, the body of Christ, the fivefold ministry, to equip them for the work of the ministry. If you're outside of that, if you're outside of a body, then you're not going to receive the benefits of those gifts. Would you agree with me? Okay, let's keep reading. Uh, Verse 13. Until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by their trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him, into Jesus, who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now that's a mouthful. But basically what it's talking about. The goal is for us as Christians to grow up to be like Jesus, to grow up into him, to grow up into the fullness of him, to be like Jesus, to be mature, to not stay as young, immature baby Christians who are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes this way. Have you met people who you meet them one day and they're really involved in this particular doctrine, maybe some kind of a, um, what do you call it, a. Maybe a flash doctor or something that's real popular at the time and everybody's into it. All the Christians are into this and they believe this way. Then you meet them maybe a year later and then they're into something else. Say, well, what happened to that? Oh, I don't believe that anymore. And they're over here. And then another doctor comes and they go over here and they're just going back and forth, back, very unstable, very insecure, very immature. God's intention is for us to grow up into him so that we're not tossed around by every doctrine, that when the doctrine comes, we we can discern it, whether it's valid or not, by the word of God, because we know the word of God. And we have the spirit of God and we recognize when he's telling us, uh-uh, don't go there. It's wrong. We recognize that. And so we and so we the goal is to mature, to grow up in him. But look at this. In verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Now, of course, we've read in Scripture how the body, the church, is, is like uh, a physical body. Every, every person has its place, every member. And he talks about every joint supplying. And as I was sharing yesterday, if, you know, I have a joint at my elbow right here. My elbow's a joint. If I were to separate, pop out this part of my arm and separate it from the rest of my body, would this arm, this part of the arm, would it continue to thrive? It wouldn't thrive because it's not going to receive the nourishment and everything that this joint connecting it to the rest of the body is supplying for it, right? 
So this arm can still be an arm. But if it's not connected and receiving from the joints, it's not going to be a, an effective arm, is it? It's not going to be a healthy arm. And see, the way, the way God has designed his body, the church, when it functions the way he wants it to, every single person in here, all of you, you, point at yourself, put your finger in your chest. The person that you're pointing to has received giftings, has received callings, has received a supply, a download from the Holy Spirit. You have some good stuff in you. A lot of good stuff. Now, the only way I'm going to receive now, let me back up. The good stuff that you have in you, I need it. The person next to you needs it. The person behind you, in front of you needs it. Because you have giftings, you have things that God has deposited in you, and we need it from each other. Are you with me so far? Now, if I'm not here, if I'm not in you, if I'm not in relationship with a group of Christians, then how am I going to receive that supply? How am I going to receive that encouragement? How am I going to receive the word of the Lord through you to me? Because, see, some people think that they can get everything from God. Well, I don't need people. You know, God is, you know, Jesus is my head. I can just receive from him. He didn't design it that way. He's the one that said that he gave gifts to the church, to the body, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. He's the one that did it. He's the one that designed this whole process. Now, we don't do it perfectly. The church has a lot of flaws because it's got people in it. If you get the people out of the church, the church will be perfect. But we don't have that option, do we? And too many people think that they can, I can be a Christian and not go to church. Yes, you can be a born-again Christian, but you won't be an effective Christian. Because you will not receive the supply from the, the saints around you. And so, again, back to relationship. If you're not in relationship, if you're not connecting with saints around you, then you're not going to receive the supply that God wants to pour into your life through them. And we have to, and just coming to church doesn't mean we have relationship. So the fact that we're sitting here, where you're sitting, I'm standing. The fact that we're here on this Sunday morning doesn't mean that, oh, see, I'm in church, so I'm going to receive all the supply. Shh, that's not my phone. Oops. The fact that you're sitting here doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to receive what your sister or your brother around you has. Would you agree with me on that? So it's a nice start to be here together, but if this is the way it stays, then we're, we're not going to be any better off or much better off than a person who stays at home. I say much better off because there are benefits of just showing up here. But we don't want what we get just by showing up and sitting here keeping the pew warm. If we want to grow and be effective in Jesus Christ, then it has to, it will involve relationship. No ifs, ands, or buts. And we don't want to talk about the big butts, right? Did that last week. So we've been talking about being an intentional disciple. And so there are things that we have to do. We have to, if we want to be an intentional disciple, then we have to be intentional in the things that we do if we want to accomplish that. And we also talked about weeks before we talked about allowing God to develop an, a, a relational environment in this church. And I'm not going to go through all that again. Uh, it's somewhere on the Internet. You can listen to the past sermons. 
In other words, allowing the Holy Spirit to develop a, an atmosphere where it's very relational, where we begin to move together in relationship, where we're encouraged to move together in relationship. And there are specific things you have to do in order for that, for that to happen. And remember we talked about starting your hospitality ministry. Remember we talked about that? We talked about hospitality. Being definite, intentional on reaching out to a brother or a sister and building relationships that way. Because we can all agree that relationship is important, but if we are not specific, intentional, if we're not definite, then a year from now we'll be in the same place we are now. And I believe the Lord is moving us, He's helping us move in the direction of being intentional in relationship. That's why the woman's uh, party that you guys had a couple of months back, a lot of what you got out of it was about relationship. And a lot of the testimonies, a lot of the encouragement that I heard was how God knitted, knit, knitted, is that the right one? Put you guys together, closer together through relationships. And a number of you have been continuing those relationships since then. When we started, when we did that NFL deal, that men's thing on Sunday nights, which by the way continues next week, next, not tonight, but next Sunday, a week from tonight, we'll be meeting. But the whole purpose of that is to have an environment for relationships to be formed and deepened. Small group ministry. Purpose of that. Well, as we move into that, our goal will be relational because our goal is to be effective disciples and to know how to make disciples. And I believe the vehicle for effective discipleship is relationship. Outside of relationship, there is no effective discipleship. So you're going to hear me preaching effect, uh, relationship quite a bit. And I don't know a lot about how to develop good, close relationships, but I'm allowing the Lord to teach me. And I want to surround myself around people who can teach me and I can learn from and say, hey, let's learn to do this together. How do we do this stuff? And I want to talk about something. I'm going to go ahead and talk about this first. In case I run out of time, I don't want to not be able to talk about this. But as I started last week on being an intentional disciple in 2012, I mentioned that you need to adopt a Bible reading program. You need to be in the word on a regular basis. You have to be. If you want to grow and mature in Christ, you have to be in the word. You need to commit to a daily regular time of prayer and worship. You should want to treat your relationship with God at least as good as, as, as your marriage, a good marriage. You want to treat your time. In other words, spend time with God on a regular basis. And I talked about this last week, so you can, if you weren't here last week, you can hear it on the Internet. Um, talked about committing. You need to commit your money to the Lord. Quit living on debt. Get on, get on a budget and start tithing. Talk about that more in another time. Uh, and also we talked about committing to growing in your family relationships, your spouse, your, uh, your children. <coughs> But here's what I want to talk about today. Let's see where are my scriptures at. Matthew chapter 11. Verse 1.
Do you realize that when we talk about relationships, when we talk about it, it sounds very glamorous. I mean, it's very positive. It's encouraging. And it's like, man, I want that. But we also know we can't fool ourselves by not realizing that it's not without its own problems. How many of you guys realize relationships has challenges? If you don't believe me, just get in a relationship. Matthew chapter 11. I guess it would be helpful if I turn there. 11 verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and he said to him, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Now everybody knows who John the Baptist is, right? He was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He was the one that says God is bringing the Lamb of God who's going to come and take away the sin of the earth. And when Jesus came, he pointed to him and identified him. And even baptized him. So John, before anybody else knew, John knew. Right? And then right here, verse 2, And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and he said to him, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? That's an odd question. Are you the Christ or did I miss it? Let's read on. Verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now, John wasn't necessarily offended yet, but he was moving in that direction. We've got some livelihood going on over there. He was not, we don't know if he was offended or not. Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended. So maybe Jesus was warning him, John, be careful. Don't get offended because of me. And I, I believe what's going on here is John had in his mind, even though the Holy Spirit revealed to him who the Christ was and he pointed him out, that's the man, boom, he's it. But then John probably had some assumption that, assumptions as to how things were going to play out. He probably had some assumptions like, hey, Jesus is the man, I'm his right-hand man, it's going to be awesome. Everything's going to work out pretty cool, you know, we're going to have, you know, no telling what he thought, but he probably had some assumptions. We know the disciples did, we know Israel did, they all did. That's why many of them missed him. He's standing right there in front of them and they didn't believe he was one because of their assumptions ruled Jesus out. So John had some assumptions and his assumption probably included him not being in prison. Would you agree with that? Because he probably wouldn't have signed up for that ministry. Possibly, probably. Now I'm speculating here. But because things didn't work out the way John thought they would, he began to doubt who Jesus was. Are you really the one? I can promise you this, folks, because of what Scripture says, that offenses will come. If you endeavor to pursue relationship, you are, you are pursuing a whole bunch of opportunities to be offended. 
Now, if you have a relationship with our people, then there won't be any offense. But if people are involved, then there's opportunity. I'm not saying there will be offenses, there will be opportunities for you to be offended. Some of those Jesus brought. You remember when he was talking to the disciples and saying, eat my flesh, drink my blood? Remember all that? You have to understand how offensive that is to the Jew. Actually, you have to understand how offensive that is to people in general. But particularly the Jew who had all these laws about food and dietary. And, I mean, they couldn't eat the blood and animals and, and all this kind of stuff. And then Jesus is saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood. They probably knew of people or, or, or societies that believed in cannibalism. And that's what Jesus is saying. You've got to be a cannibal if you believe in me, so to speak. Now, of course, he was meaning spiritually. They took it naturally. And it said, this is out of John chapter 6, said, this is a hard saying. Who can take this? And in verse 666, which is an interesting number, and it says, many turned away from him and walked with him no more. John 666. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? But it says they, they walked with him no more. In other words, they got offended at him. And they left. Now, Jesus could have said, hold on a second. Hold on, guys. Come on. Hold on. Before you leave. Hold on. Hold on. Now, I didn't mean my spirit. I didn't mean my flesh. I meant spirit. He didn't prevent them from misunderstanding him. Things will happen in life. And God will not always prevent you from misunderstanding the situation or misunderstanding him. So you have an opportunity. What happens is people, the situation comes, hits them, broadsides them. And they say, God, what's going on? I don't understand. I don't understand what's going on. What's going on? And God seems silent on the issue. And then they begin to assume that God meant this or God meant that. Or God, if you cared for me, why did you allow this to happen? They get offended. And then they turn away. They quit walking with God. I've talked to many people. You go out on the streets and just do interviews. Just ask people questions. Do you go to church? Did you used to go to church? Oh, yeah, I used to go to church. Why don't you go anymore? I was offended. Those hypocrites. Or God didn't, you know, something happened, something tragic happened in their life. And they didn't understand why. Because if God loved me, then he would have done this. And it didn't happen. And so they assumed and they got offended and they turned away. Now, some things God will bring situations about, and you have an opportunity to get offended. And I want to say this. If you are an offendable person, if you are easily offended, you're in big trouble. Because you will have opportunities to be offended. And there are people that can get offended if you look cross-eyed at them, they're offended. And, you know, you used to hear things silly, you know, seemingly silly things, but unfortunately they were true. You know, you hear about, well, the pastor didn't shake my hand today. And so they're offended. Or sister so-and-so didn't invite me or sister so-and-so didn't do this or, or whatever these situations are, the person chooses to get offended. And I found out something interesting. I've heard this before years ago when I read a book. There's a book that I'm going to uh, purchase to make available. It's called The Bait of Satan. 
How many of you have heard of that book before by John Bevere? Very good book. See, I thought I had that somewhere. But that word offense, in Greek it means scandalon. It's called the word scandalon. And scandalon is the trigger of a trap on which bait is placed. When an animal touches the trigger to eat the bait, the trap springs shut and the animal is caught. So that word offense is the word scandalon, and it's the trigger of a trap. Isn't that interesting? The word offense that Jesus used, it's the same word for the trigger of a trap. So when the animal comes along and, and takes that, the trap is sprung and the animal is caught. The animal is not able to, to run freely and do what is designed to do. When you take the bait of being offended and you grab a hold of that offense, you fall into the trap of the enemy. And you're held in bondage. And you will not be free to move around and do what God wants you to do. Offense is a very dangerous thing. And many, many people fall into offense. A lot of people out there, I've talked to a lot of people out out there, talk to people about the gospel and, and just engage them and talk, why don't they go to church anymore? And, and you hear a lot of the same thing. Well, I was offended. I was hurt. I was talking to somebody last week and they said, well, they've been hurt a lot by the church. I'm not surprised. If the church they went to had people in it, I'm not surprised. They went to an empty church and they got offended. I'm curious. But here's the deal. If we want to now remember backing up to John chapter six, when Jesus said that to the crowd and they're like, dude, you're whack. And they left. They said, we, uh-uh, we're not following you anymore. And remember, he turned to his disciples or to 12 and he said, what about you guys? You're going to leave me too?" And they kind of probably looking at him, you know, with that deer in the headlight look like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe what he just said. And we're following this guy. And he said, are you going to leave me too?" And then basically Peter said, where else are we going to go? You're the one with the words of life. You know, Peter didn't say, no, Jesus, we know what you meant. We know that you didn't really mean physical flesh. I don't think they understood that. They were probably freaking out like, oh, my goodness, this dude is crazy. But they knew they didn't understand. But they knew that Jesus was it. They didn't understand, but they knew. Okay, I'm confused, but. I'm not going to let go of you. And that's the kind of tenacity, spiritual tenacity we have to have. I don't understand why that happened, how that happened. But God, I'm still going to, I'm not going to let go of you. And some of you may say, well, I'm not going to let go of God, but I'm definitely moving away from those people. Well, that's how you move away from God. The people out there on the streets or wherever who don't come to church anymore, they still have a relationship with God. They just don't have a relationship with his people because his people offended them. And again, how effective are they going to be able to be as a disciple if they've removed themselves from the body of Christ? Not going to be too. Especially if they stay by themselves because what happens typically, you get offended, get offended, so you back off. No more relationships, no more trust. Me and myself, I can trust God, but nobody else. And then they're totally isolated. 
God wants to minister to them. He wants to encourage them. He wants to build them up and all that kind of stuff. And he has designed to do it through his body. We don't have the right to say, God, I don't want it that way. I just want me and you. He says, okay, since you're in charge, I'll do it the way you want. It's probably not going to go down like that. The Bible says we must be the ones to humble ourselves. Not God. We don't need God to humble himself. We humble ourselves. Now, there are things that happen. There are misunderstandings that happen. <clears throat> you begin to form relationships with people. You begin to be intentional and begin with to get with another person. And then what can happen is we begin to have expectations. That's what happens in marriage. You hook up with this woman or this man in marriage and all of a sudden... I'm offended. She didn't do nearly what I thought she was supposed to do. I mean, what happens? Why, do, why are so many people going to the divorce courts? You've got a bunch of offended people. Now, of course, I'm trivializing that. But the point is, when you get in a relationship with somebody, you have to watch your expectations. And then if, and what happens is you, you begin to expect this person to do certain things. And so they don't do certain things. And then you get offended. And then you say, well, forget that. And you break off the relationship. Then you go find somebody else. Hey, let's be in a relationship. You bring the same expectations. They don't fulfill those expectations. Well, forget that. What's wrong with you people? You're supposed to be doing what I expect. And see, the purpose of relationship, remember, God is wanting us to grow up, be mature in Christ. We can't do that in a vacuum. It comes through relationship. Because only when I get in a relationship do I recognize my selfishness. When I get married, before I was married, I wasn't selfish. I was the coolest cat in town. All of a sudden I got married, I'm like, whoa, dude, I am selfish. Did she bring, did she make me selfish? No, it was already there. It took the relationship to expose it. And see, relationships will expose our needs, our weaknesses. And then we invite God to help us in those things. But if I think I have no need, hey, I'm good. I'm a loving person. I don't have anger. I don't have all these issues. Get in a relationship. I was the most mild-mannered person didn't have anger issues until I had a kid. <laughs> I mean, I almost thought I was the Incredible Hulk or something because of the transformation that was trying to happen. I mean, I got so angry to the point I was afraid that I was going to hurt somebody, this little kid. And you parents know what I'm talking about. When all of a sudden you go from, you know, you're married and you're kicking it with your wife and having a good time and you're able to sleep as long as you want. And have as much free time. And all, and all of a sudden, you have this little bundle of joy. And he says, hey, guess what, daddy-o? You're not going to be sleeping as much as you used to. He says, you don't believe me? Wah! Wah! Especially when your first child, you know, like 24-7 type of cry thing. It went on and on and on and on and on. And see, I had this expectation of, I can sleep as long as I want, get up when I want, you know, that kind of thing. And this kid said, 
I'm here to change everything. And all of a sudden I had anger issues. I mean, real anger. I'm not talking about ha-ha funny, oh, that's cute type of stuff. I'm talking about I was really scared. And I, had to get, I got before God and cried out to him. I mean, the real crying out to him saying, God, I need you to change me. I need help because I may hurt somebody. And you remember those stories where, not the stories, the commercials. Before I was a parent, I used to mock and, and judge those people. When they talked about the, um, oh, I can't remember what they call it, but where the, the moms would have the babies and they, they, would, they couldn't get them to stop crying. They would throw them against the wall and kill them by accident. You guys remember those commercials? You know what I'm talking about? Cornell? A long time ago, they used to have, because basically what was happening is the mom would get so upset, didn't know what to do, and she would unintentionally kill the baby. Out of anger because they wouldn't stop crying or whatever the case was. And I remember seeing those commercials and boys to pound the chair and all those people and boy I had all my judgments. Then I became a daddy. And then I could relate to what they were feeling. I was like, oh, dear God, I got some problems in me. And here's the cool thing. God delivered me from that. Because he showed me how. He showed me what the issue was, what the problem was, and he helped me walk through that. Doesn't mean I don't get angry anymore, but I don't have to sin in my anger. So I was approaching the threshold of major sin. You know, the Cain and Abel type of stuff. And so here's the deal. If I would have stayed a single person, or, or when I was single, I didn't realize how selfish I was until I got married. Relationship. She didn't bring about the selfishness. It was already in me. The relationship exposed it. When I had a kid, before I had a kid, I did not have anger in me. It was exposed when the baby wouldn't quit crying. And so what happens when we invite ourselves and we get in relationship, the stuff's going to start coming out. And what God is saying is, son, daughter, allow me, invite me to work you through this, to grow you up, to mature you. Because until we realize we have need, we're not going to go to him because we think we, we're all good. I'm good. Anybody have any prayer needs? I'm good. I'm good. And so when you get in a relationship, guess what's going to start happening? Now, I'm not talking about surfacey, flaky type or surfacey type relationships. I'm talking about when you begin to move closer. Like brothers, you get together and you begin to reveal and share your hearts. You begin to let the walls down. And all of a sudden, you're also opening yourself up for offenses to come. Now, I'm not saying this to scare you off because you're like, whoa, offenses? I don't think so. I don't want this relationship stuff. That could be a reaction. But I want to just prepare you. Matter of fact, Jesus prepared his disciples. I think it's John chapter 16. So I have it here. Verses 1 through 3 says, These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. Or be offended. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God. That he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. In other words, Jesus was warning them of things that come so that they would not stumble. They would not be offended. And that's what I'm doing now. But he still required them to go through what they were going to go through. He said, look guys, you're going to go this way because you're following me. And here's what's going to happen. But I'm telling you this ahead of time so you won't be offended. And so what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is God requires and is inviting us to relationship with one another. But things are going to happen that could cause offense. 
Be ready for that so that you don't fall in the fence or, or stumble over that. You don't get taken by that trap. So do you still want relationships? Yes. We still want relationships. And so we need to be aware of that. We have to effectively deal with the offenses. I'm going to continue this next week because I'm not able to get into it any deeper than I don't want to be here all day. Well, we have an hour, so we'll go ahead and continue. Just kidding. I just about offended some of y'all. But you have to determine... That you are not going to allow offenses to rob you of the plans that God has for your life. Because if you let them, they will. I think of all the precious people out there who are outside the church, who are outside of relationship with Christians, who are allowing themselves to be ripped off, who are allowing themselves to be cut short of all that God has for them. Because they will not engage in relationship. And see, many of you, well, I won't say many, some of you, or a number of us, have had some relationships go wrong. We've had some horrible things happen to us when we were little. And as a result, we already come with our package of shields up, 10 inches thick, this is as close as you can get, sorry, no more. And so you already have a buffer where people can't get any closer to you because of How you've reacted to what's happened to you. Not because of what's happened to you, but how you've reacted to what's happened to you. And you will not be allowed to, by yourself, to have a closer relationship until you allow God to deal with that stuff. So no matter how hard you want it, no matter how much you want it, if you don't allow God to deal with that stuff, those hurts, those those woundings in your soul... If you do not allow him to deal with that and help you with that, you will not be able to have intimate relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And I believe God has given us, has given us tools. He's giving us, he's, there's giftings in this body that he has placed to help us. Particularly in that area. You know, Father's heart. Talk about that quite a bit. I firmly believe in that ministry. And I encourage couples, individuals, to go through that ministry, to to seek that ministry out, to get help. I'm going to close on this note. I I went through Father's heart. We went to the class that I, I went through Father's heart ministry not thinking that I had any issues That needed that type of ministry. Boy, was I wrong. I was really wrong. And I was so grateful that I gave myself to that. And they didn't fix me. It wasn't I went through that ministry and bing, I'm fixed. But I went through that ministry. Things were exposed. I was able to repent of things and and get some healing and some things. But I gained the tools that helped me to avoid being offended. I've had many opportunities of being offended. I've had many things happen. Many people do things or whatever. And the natural tendency would be to get offended. But I say, no, I'm not going to get offended. First of all, because God says not to. I value him. 
And I value my relationship with that brother or sister. And I don't want a fence to rip us apart or keep us apart. And regardless how hard it is, I choose to engage God and allow him to deal with me. Let's all stand.